It's time for CBJ in 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, YouTube, and TuneIn. The easiest thing to do is tell Alexa or Siri to play CBJ in 30. Here's your host, Bob McGilligan. What a way to start the week. Now, I've got a little test for you. All right, you've got to be honest on this. You've got to be completely honest on this. You can't lie, but here is your test question. Well, it's not really a question. It's a raise your hand if you thought the Blue Jackets would be 2-0 after the first two games. Honestly, raise your hand if you thought that. Okay. I see a couple of hands. A couple of hands, not many hands. Okay, Raise your hand if you thought the Blue Jackets could be 2-0 after the first two games. Oh, many more hands, including my hand. My hand is up on that one. When you looked at the schedule, you knew Arizona is in a complete rebuild. Yeah, there's a good chance to win that game. Seattle's an expansion team. There's a good chance to win that game. So there should be more hands on this one. And as I said, mine is up. And raise your hand if you're happy that the Blue Jackets have come out of the gate 2-0 there are all the hands. There they are. Welcome to CBJ and 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union, Monday Mailbag Edition. And I'm going to answer all of your questions that you have about the Blue Jackets uh, coming up here as we go along. But what a weekend it was, huh? I mean, getting the big win on opening night, you can't script it any better than that to score eight times against the Arizona Coyotes and just beat up on them eight to two in a night that was full of excitement just because it was opening night. Full of excitement because you, the fans, were back at Nationwide Arena in full capacity for the first time in what seemed like forever. And on the same token, a very sad emotional night as the Blue Jackets celebrated the life of their fallen goaltender, Matisse Kivlenix, who tragically passed away this past summer. So all of those things were going on. And the question was, how is everybody going to handle it? And I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm, this is completely honest. I knew that there would be a Kivlenic celebration for a long, long time. I knew they would put a banner up in the rafters in his honor. I knew all of that. And what I never sat down and thought about was how it was all going to go down. I never talked to our game entertainment people, and I never said, you know, what's going to happen specifically. I didn't. I didn't because... We were doing preseason games. We have our own stuff to do to get prepared for the season. And I knew it was coming all along, but I never really thought about the process. I never felt or I never thought what it would feel like when the family would come out onto the ice and when they would unveil the banner and when there would be the ceremonial face-off. They were just all things I knew were going to happen, but I didn't spend any time considering what it might be like. And then all of a sudden... You know, the lights go down, the video comes on, and the opening night festivities begin. And when I came on the air on opening night, I was really I was really full of the emotion of people being back in the building. We talked about it. We saw it during the preseason. That last preseason game against Pittsburgh was pretty good. But it was, you know, it, it was just different. It was here is just about everybody that I haven't seen for a year and a half and they're all here and they've loaded up this building and they're ready to go they're ready to cheer this team on on opening night and it got me to thinking about 
how we take things for granted. We all take things for granted in our lives. There's no doubt about it. But when you do what I do for a living, you just take for granted that there are going to be people in the stands and they're going to be excited about things and that opening night is going to be a full building. And then last year, that was all robbed from us, from all of us. I was doing games in empty buildings at the beginning and it just didn't have the same juice to it. It just, it had nothing. It had nothing. I still, to to this day, I don't know how the players did it. I really, I don't because it was it was boring and it was terrible and it was it was what had to be done, but it was worst case scenario because there was no energy and no atmosphere. So first of all, I was taken in by all of that being back, and then it shifted to the ceremony, and then Matisse's family came out on the ice, and then the banner was unveiled, and then the ceremonial face off and. It was tough, even from where I was sitting, because I had not gone through the entire process in my mind, because for weeks it was like, yeah, yeah, I know that's going to happen. Okay, well, we want to carry that on our radio broadcast. We want to make sure that we get that ceremony in. Uh, But that's really as far as it went until it was happening. And then when it's happening for me, you know, I'm watching it. Uh, We're letting the, the public address announcement go over the air, but then you have to fill in and and you know talk about what's happening when when the family uh, comes out onto the ice and uh, when they come to center ice for the ceremonial face-off and when Boone gets down on one knee to hug Matisse's sister and uh, you know and and you got to go through it and do it and it was not easy it was difficult if you were in the stands watching uh, if you were at home watching on TV uh, you know if you're a fan of this team I'll bet it was difficult for you too and for the team and even more specifically for Elvis Merzlikens, you have to start to wonder, how are they going to flip the switch and get back to the excitement of opening night after this? And they answered the question by scoring a goal 40 seconds into the first period. I don't think there could have been a better script written than that because as soon as that puck went in the net off the stick of Alexander Texier, the focus came back to where it needed to be at that moment, which is this is a game that we're playing right now. It's opening night. There are two points on the table. The people came here to see us perform, and let's do it. And do it they did the rest of the night. So that first night was really special. You know, we were talking, uh, just the guys in the, the video production room, we were talking, it was either on Thursday, maybe it was on Wednesday, Uh, Everybody was talking about their first opening night. And I was listening to stories. And I remember my first opening night here after doing the whole preseason, it was against the Minnesota Wild. And it was just different. The the whole feel was different about the thing. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget what it felt like coming from the American Hockey League where when the home building was packed there, you had between five and 6,000 people. And all of a sudden you had three times that many or more. Uh, when you were here for that opening night. So I'll never forget that, but I'll never forget this one. I will never, ever forget this one for all of the reasons that I just stated to you about how special it was in every single aspect. It was unforgettable, absolutely unforgettable. And the Blue Jackets, they went out, they took care of business, they got the win. They knew coming into the game on Saturday it was going to be a different style of game against the Seattle Kraken. They weren't surprised by that. 
you know, the Kraken had already played a couple of games. They had just gotten their first win in their previous game in Nashville. And the scouting report is there. Uh, there's video to watch now with Seattle. It's not just uh, a bunch of uh, speculation as to how they might play. They could go back and watch them play. They watched their game in Vegas. They watched their game in Nashville. And what they saw was a team that is just relentless, and they hound you, and they don't give you a lot of, a lot of time. They don't give you a lot of space. And they're not the most gifted offensively because when you look at them, they're a team that's made up of a lot of second and third and fourth liners, but they all play hard. And they all have that same edge because they're in the land of misfit toys. They're all players, not all because some were free agents, but the ones that got taken in the expansion draft, they were all with another team that decided not to keep them. So that's a motivating factor. But the Blue Jackets just able to grind it out, absolutely grind it out. And Eric Robinson scores in the third period to tie the game at one. It was so important that they never got down by two in that game because that would have been really hard to climb back from that. They tie it at one, gets to overtime. Patrick Laine is trying to get a two-on-one going, and it doesn't work out. And he gets a second chance on a great pass from Zach Wierenski. And he buries the puck to win the game. And just a a great opening series of games for the Blue Jackets Thursday and Saturday. But now that's over. And the team has to go on the road. They've got to play in Detroit tomorrow night before coming back home. So, yes, we enjoy every second of what we saw. And, yes, it was good to have the day off on Sunday just to revel in it. But now it is time to go back to work. And believe me, the schedule gets harder as we go along. No doubt about that. Right now, before I answer your questions, I want to remind you about the fine folks over at Ohio Credit Union. You know, they have been serving the central Ohio area for a long, 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 long time. And the reason that they stay around so long is because they take care of their customers. Actually, their credit union, their customers are their owners. They call the shots. But at Ohio Credit Union, they have just been there for people Over the years, they provide a lot of different services. They have checking accounts. They have different levels of checking account. You can get a basic checking account. You can work your way up to a premier account. Uh, All the accounts that they have, there are different things that are involved in those accounts as you go up by tier in the checking accounts, savings accounts. Uh, You need a debt consolidation loan. You need a business loan. Ohio Credit Union is the place that you can go and find out about all of those things, see if they are a fit for you. And I'll tell you, when you go to their website at tellohio.org and you search around and you read all of the information, I think you just might find that Ohio Credit Union, those are the folks that you need to deal with. And I'll tell you, they are going to be there for you. Ohio Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. All right. It is time to get to your questions, and I've got uh, a bunch of voice questions this week to get things started, and it wouldn't be polite if I didn't do it this way. So without further ado, ladies first. Hi, Bob. This is Amanda from Chicago. Um, I've been a fan of this team ranging from casual to obsessive for the past 21 years. Uh, I love seeing how it evolves and changes over time. Obviously, this is a big year for change. I know that it's very, very early being only two games in, but after watching that game against Seattle on Saturday, I am just so jazzed as a fan. Um, the Robinson goal, the whole third period, Line A's overtime redemption for the earlier missed shot. This team doesn't just look hungry. They look like they're starving. 
Uh, I mean, the whole game was great, but that third period was so much fun to watch. I think even Jody Shelley mentioned in his commentary that it looked more like a game much later in the season from two teams vying for a playoff spot. My question for you is what would you attribute this to? And is this the Jackets team that we should now expect to see? Is it the new leadership? Is it the new young blood? Is it the energy from the fans back in the arena? Whatever it is, I love it. But what is it? And are we going to get more? Um, also, quick follow-up question. But Jody had a really point, good point earlier. There are a lot of female fans of this sport. And further, women's hockey has been getting bigger and bigger every year. Columbus is a hockey town. We even have a Columbus native on the team, and he's doing great. Do you think Columbus will ever get a women's team? Because I would love to see it. Anyway, thanks, Bobby. Looking forward to your thoughts. Well, thank you, Amanda. That was very well done. And let's go in reverse order on your questions. First of all, don't forget the Blue Jackets have two Columbus natives now because Sean Corrali has joined Jack Roslovic. So that number has doubled since last year of local players that are on the team. But um, to get to your question about a women's team, first of all, you know, Ohio State has a great women's program, a program that has been just getting better and better over the course of the last couple of years. So there, there is that. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, the way that they have climbed in importance in the last couple of years. Uh, if you're asking about uh, like an NWHL team or anything like that, I think that that is, um, I, personally, I think that it's possible somewhere down the line. But I think right now, just with what's going on with uh, women's hockey, where they, they just can't, uh, it's not figured out right now, right? There are two different uh, leagues and factions, and it, it needs to come together under one umbrella somehow, some way. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know who's going to do that. But if it were to come together, like, say, the WNBA is set up, uh, I could see Columbus being in the mix for something like that. I could, I because I, I think it is a, uh, you know, again, with the university leading the way, I think there's a, a big, um, I think there would be a lot of support for a women's team. I know that the uh, women's programs are growing, even in the Blue Jackets Learn to Play that is uh, just beginning. A lot of young girls have grown or, or, or have shown interest in, in getting on the ice and starting to learn and starting to grow within the sport. So um, that is, it's not out of the realm of possibility, Amanda, somewhere down the line. I don't know how long from now that that's going to be, but when it happens, when it happens, just go back and pull this out and get that, get this clip. And just remember I was right somewhere down the line. I'll be proven right. I feel that I really do um, to get to your previous question about the, um, about the team itself, like what is it? Why are they 2-0? and Why were they able to play two different styles of game? Uh, you ask if it's a leadership, if it's it, – look, it's everything. It's everything It's everything that you asked about. Uh, it's the fans coming back to the building. It's new faces. It's guys in bigger roles. It's guys that are trying to make an impression and stick in this league. It's all of those things together that – causes this team to start off with a record of two wins and no losses it really is um you know the the thing that was most impressive about it was the difference between the games and how they were played and that they were able to play one way against Arizona and they had to come back and play a completely different way against Seattle and they just simply got the job done we were in the it was in the second period and I said to 
to Dylan Tire. We went to a commercial break, and I said, boy, this is this kind of boring, this game. Well, of course it was boring. There were eight goals scored in the one before. But he said, I wonder if this is how other teams felt about playing the Blue Jackets over the course of the past six years under John Tortorella, where it was that same style. We didn't have, of course, the, the most talented offensive guys. We had guys that can score, but it was about – you know, grinding it out and and making it tough on the other team. So I thought that was an interesting question. Is that the way that the other teams felt when the Blue Jackets came to town to play? Yeah, I think it's very possible that it is. But um, but it was impressive. It, it was impressive that they were able to shift gears and they were able to do something completely different on Saturday and still get the same result out of that. And I like that shout-out that you gave to Jody, and, and she's got a question here uh, on Twitter that I'll get to in just a bit. Um, but she did at the beginning of the season here on this Monday mailbag, you know, she said, uh, how do we get more women to get involved? And ever since then, we have gotten more to ask questions. So, uh, kudos to her and Amanda, thank you for being a part of it today. All right, let's go to the second question on today's show. Hi, Bob, Jonathan in Grove City here. I just wanted to first off say that I'm happy that I've got hockey and I've got you to listen to again. Um, So thank you for being back with us. I'm I'm excited to to get this content again. Um, Wanted to start off with a question about, do you think the Jackets need to start losing here um, to make sure that we can secure a really good pick in next year's draft, maybe even, you know, Shane Wright? so that's the first question. Second, I wanted to let you know that's a joke. I just know how much you love talking about next year's draft before the season's really even gotten much underway. Um, but in reality, do you think that there have been any conversations between Yarmo and Brad Larson about prioritization this year um, of saying, you know, our window's not open. I don't want you to win at the expense of every game or at the expense of the young players' development. So, you know, if you could rely on what few veterans the Jackets actually have to win a game, don't do that because we want to make sure that development is our primary focus this year because our window is not open. Or do you think that simply they're saying, no, we want to win every single game no matter what because we want to make sure that that is what every player here prioritizes most and understands that that's what the priority is. I understand both approaches. I'm not really going to agree or disagree with one. I just wanted to get your thoughts. If you think that is a reality or if you have a preference, I'm going to guess I know which way you're going to prefer. Um, But then the third question that I wanted to ask about was Patrick Laine. I know the hype about him and the effort he's put in over the summer and everything has been real. Uh, or has been real hyped up at least. <laughs> um, whether that's true, uh, it's too early probably to tell one way or another, honestly. But I'm just curious, in the first couple games, have you seen a different Patrick Laine, and and do you like what you've seen out of him um, so far? I mean, obviously he had the Game OT winner, which was awesome, but uh, it's hard to tell on television as to, to what he's truly doing. It, I I don't know that I've seen a huge improvement just yet, um, but I, I'm just curious what you've seen um, being at the rink. So, yeah, thanks again um, for being back with us, and go Jackets. Well, Jonathan, I'll tell you this. I, I am so glad that you pointed out that you were making a joke to begin with because I was getting fired up listening to the question. I mean, like, fired up, like, not excited fired up, like, like mad fired up. Like, are you are you kidding me? You, you're going to ask me about next year's draft already? 2-0 record, and you want to talk about next year's draft? 
That's where I was getting ready to go. And then I backed off when you said it was a joke. But then you asked me the question as to whether or not Yarmo might talk to Brad Larson and, and talk about not winning and talk about, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of putting it together with development. Here's where I think you're wrong on that. First of all, when you win, you develop. You develop players, you develop culture, you develop winning instincts is what you do. So from that standpoint, your young players, as long as they can perform, they can be here and you want to win. Like if they were here, and, and maybe this is what you were saying, so I'll, I'm going to explain this, and if this is what you mean or if this is what you were trying to say, then we're on the same page. Let's just take Cole Sillinger, okay? Cole has looked like he hasn't stood out in a way that you say, he's 18 years old, he can't play here. He looks like he can play in the league, so that's fine. So he plays and he develops, whether you win, whether you lose, okay. But let's say that you got into a stretch where you lost nine or ten in a row and it was just dismal and um, and you just didn't think it was going to help his development to be in this kind of situation. You know, nothing's going right, he's not getting any points, uh, all of that. Then would you look to move him somewhere else for his development, whether that be Cleveland or whether that be to send him to junior? Uh, I think if you're going to send him to junior, that would be early in the season. And, you know, I think you would have to start off with a, a terrible stretch early. But I don't know that either because if he looks like he can play, then let him play. Let him develop here. He's he's doing fine so far. But there there is that case where you want them to develop in a winning atmosphere. And, and if you don't have it, and somebody else does, then maybe you consider that. So maybe that's what you were trying to say. I don't know. Uh, but I think that I, – I just think that you uh, you develop by winning. And you, you say that, you know, your window's not open, but how do any of us know that the window's not open? Really, how do you know? This team's not going to go 82-0. and There are going to be some stretches during this season where we're talking about uh, – you know, how tough it's been recently and when's the next win coming and all that. I get that. I understand that. But how do you know the window's not open? Yeah, you're in a really tough division. I get that too. But um, this team is playing with house money. Nobody expects them to do anything. Nobody. Except them. Nobody expects them to do anything. But you cannot, as a general manager, you will never ask a coach to, to play games to lose. You will never find a player you can ask to play games to lose. Uh, you can tinker with the team around it to make sure that it's uh, kind of tough to win. Look at Arizona. But you can't. You can't and you never would go and ask anybody to lose. As far as Patrick Line, uh, I think Line is different. I think he is uh, – I've seen him back check a lot more during the preseason than I saw him do all of last year. Of course, I don't care how much he back checks. I care how much he scores, and that's why I think that that goal that he got to win the game in overtime the other night was huge for him. He looked legitimately happy. His teammates were very happy for him. I think that is a good sign for Patrick Line. I think that that type of a goal helps him to get more comfortable here and, and get settled in. And even though he's been here now for quite some time, this, uh, you know, last year was a write-off for him. It was terrible. Started off well when he got here, and then it just went terrible. He wants to forget about it, and the best way you can forget about it is by doing things like he did on Saturday night, winning the game with the final shot. All right? 
So, Jonathan, thank you very much for your question. Now we will go from Grove City north, up I-71 to Cleveland. Hey, Bob, it's Greg in Cleveland. So last Tuesday, I did something I didn't think I was going to do, but I made a last-second decision, got on a plane, went out to Vegas, and saw the Seattle Kraken inaugural game. Uh, Pretty impressive stuff, and I have to say, while it wasn't my first Golden Knights game, nobody, and I mean nobody in pro sports, does pregame like the Golden Knights do. But that aside, saw a familiar face out there in Alexander Wenberg. He was pretty invisible most of that game. I did see he had a goal against Nashville the other night, but I was at the game tonight at Nationwide against the Kraken, and he handled the puck a couple times, but again, not a whole lot going on with him, pretty lackluster play. Uh, I do have to wonder if that is a big reason why, or the reason why he's no longer with the Jackets. Um, And with that being the case or close to it, do you see anybody else in the current Jackets roster that is in danger of maybe getting shipped out, um, whether this season or next, because of that same kind of lackluster play? Benstrom comes to mind. I don't know if I'm off the mark in saying that, but what are your thoughts on that? Quick second question. Eric Robinson's goal tonight uh, was assisted by Gregory Hoffman. I had not heard about Hoffman before tonight, so I don't know much about that guy. What kind of background or scouting report can you provide us on him? Thanks, Bob. Well, Greg, first of all, I agree with you. Nobody puts on a pregame show like the Vegas Golden Knights, and it is a show. They spend a lot of money on each and every one of them. And when your neighbors all the way down the strip are putting on big shows, if you want to stay in the entertainment business, you have to do the same. So that's exactly what they do, and it's fun. It's it's a fun thing to watch to be honest with you. So I'm glad that you went out there. I'm glad you enjoyed that. You asked about Alexander Wenberg and why he's no longer with the Blue Jackets. Your observations were correct. I mean, Wenberg was a guy, he was a first-round pick. He was expected to become the number one centerman on this team a couple of years ago. He got beat out by Pierre-Luc Dubois, who came in as a rookie. And as PLD got better, Wenberg slid in the lineup. The amount of money that he was making per year, it was just too much for where he was slotted. I think he was third-line center when he left here. He was just making too much money to fit into the salary cap, and so that's why they decided to let him out, to uh, buy him out, let him go. And he's moved on to the Florida Panthers last year, and now he signs with the Seattle Kraken. Look, he's a good, serviceable player, and as the Kraken start to get – more players in, whether it's young guys that they drafted this year or free agents that they sign, you know, he will eventually slot into a spot in their lineup where he will be a very good defensive centerman and he'll chip in some goals here and there. But, you know, here he just, he was expected to play a bigger role. He could never handle that bigger role. The big bay, the big paycheck and the small role just didn't go together. And so that's why he's not here any longer. But I'm glad that you asked about Gregory Hoffman because here's a guy that very quietly has not only joined the Blue Jackets, but here he is playing in the National Hockey League, and he's waited a long time to play in the NHL. You know, he was drafted by the Carolina Hurricanes in 2011. They took him in the third round. He is a Swiss native and never came over to North America to play. He just played in the Swiss League, and he has been doing that for years and years and years. But he has been doing it, putting up great numbers in the Swiss League over the last uh, couple of years. So he was on the radar. Uh, Carolina, they couldn't get him to sign. So last year, the Blue Jackets traded a seventh-round pick to the Hurricanes to get his rights. And they were able to sign him and get him to come over. And he is uh, he's trying to make the adjustment. He's not trying. 
he is making the adjustment to playing here in North America. And again, I in, on Saturday night, him, Eric Robinson, and Sean Corrali, to me, it's the reason that the Blue Jackets win that game because they just contributed every shift that they went out there and they played. So uh, this guy, he's, as I said, he's waited a long time to get over to North America. He's been looking for the right situation. He found it with the Blue Jackets. He comes over here, and he's played very well in his first two games in the league. So, again, I'm glad that you asked about him because I think we're going to talk about this guy uh, more and more as the season goes on. All right, I've got one more voice question, and here it is. Bobby Mack, it's your man Josh from Grove City, Ohio. So good to have you back in the podcast feed, man. Super excited about the season getting underway. So I have a question for you that may be a little bit different because it's not about our team or the new players or anything like that. I know that you enjoy having questions that make you think, so I'm going to make you think on this one. And my question to you is, what is something that somebody would notice live at a game that they might not notice on TV? For example, a couple years ago, we were sitting behind the players, and since I'm not a player myself, I did not know that the players shifted sides to where like the defense would be on the side of the bench wherever the goalie was closest. So if the goalie is on the right side of the ice, the defensemen are going to be on the right side of the bench. I did not know that was the case until actually seeing that live. What do you think? What's something that somebody might notice live at a game that they might not notice at TV? Would love to hear your answer. Thanks again for all your work, man, for all you do. Very, very excited to have CBJ and 30 back. Cheers, Bob. Well, thank you, Josh, and welcome back to you as well. Something that makes me think, who, did I ever say that I wanted to think? Did I say, have I said that on the show before? Have I said, send me things to make me think? Because I don't know what I was talking about. I don't want to think. I I just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, That's a really uh, interesting observation that you make, uh, because I take that kind of thing for granted, right, is... Um, who or where those guys sit on the bench. Because, yeah, obviously the defensemen are going out to get closer to the goalie. They, they want to be on, on that side of the bench so they can just jump off the bench and they can go right back toward their position. They, won't, they don't want to be crossing over with the forwards as they're all getting off the bench. That could cause confusion and delay and might get you uh, too many men on the ice penalty too. So that is a, um, that's a good example that you bring up. So I'm thinking about it. And there's a couple of things. First of all, when you watch a game on TV, and I can really tell you this now because I I don't watch, I don't, well, I don't watch many Blue Jackets games on TV, obviously. But last year, when we weren't traveling, I had to watch a lot of games on TV. And so I could only describe what I could see. And there were other things that uh, were going on that you couldn't see. Case in point, if there is, a situation with a couple of players where maybe they just, they, as the game's going on, they they don't like each other and they're just getting frustrated with one another. And every time they're on the ice, uh, the puck is going up the ice and they're kind of behind the play and maybe they're swinging sticks or maybe they're, they're trying to get that extra little jab into the, to the face of the other guy before they have to separate and get up the ice before they get called for a penalty. So you see those kind of things go on. And you make, like in my job, I make a note of it because later in the game, if these two guys get together and it it escalates beyond that, then I'm going to be able to go back and draw on that situation that this has been going on for quite a while, actually. Uh, and another case in point, it can happen where, you know, guys can get 
I don't know, let's say there's uh, a guy gets too close to the goalie and, it, and the puck doesn't get frozen and, and play play doesn't stop. But, you know, maybe the goalie takes an extra swing at the guy with his stick as he's going back up ice the other way. And and then the guy comes down at some point and scores on him. So, you know, you can see there was already a frustration between that goalie and that shooter. Or maybe maybe the goalie makes a big save, too. And then you're like, aha, well, you know, these I, I could tell you that uh, these two have been battling for a long time because that – the, the camera on TV doesn't follow all of that. So you miss out on a lot of that stuff. Uh, what are some other things? Uh, if a guy gets, sometimes when a guy gets hurt and it's behind the play and he's slow in getting off the bench. Now, if you're watching it on TV, uh, they're going to describe that eventually. But when you're there, you can kind of see it in real time and and know, kind of know what's going on, have an idea. Uh, when the goalie gets pulled, th- this was the one that was my biggest thing last year. Um, it'd be the end of the game. You're down by a goal. You know the goalie's going to the bench, and you don't know exactly with how much time the coach is going to take him to the bench. And and when I was calling so many games last year, the, the camera's on the puck. And sometimes, depending on where they were playing, sometimes there would be a little, uh, you know, a smaller picture inset where you could – they would show the goalies. He would start to come off. But many times there was not, and you just had a guess. Or you had to wait for at the top of the screen where the graphics said empty net. Uh, so those are a couple of things. And there's, I'm sure there's a lot more if I sit and think about it, but I already told you. I really don't want to think. So those were pretty easy for me, Josh. Thank you. Anytime you want to send me a question and have your voice be heard on the show, it's easy to do. Just take your phone, either record it as a voice memo or a video, and email me, bobbymack at bluejackets.com, B-O-B-B-Y-M-A-C at bluejackets.com. It's very simple to do. The other thing that's simple to do is get on Twitter and send your message to me that way, at Sports. And let's go to uh, a list of those questions right now and find out what is on your mind? We'll start with Lauren. Lauren says, I spent the weekend celebrating my mom's birthday. Well, happy birthday to your mom, Lauren. And uh, she says, our team has changed a lot since we last played in the Metropolitan Division. Will there be the same intensity when playing those teams with so many new guys who may not have history with teams like Pittsburgh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, there will. Because plenty of guys still have that history. Um Look, Zach Wierenski has it. Um, Oliver Bjorkstrand has it. You, you don't think of Bjorkstrand when you think about a guy getting frustrated. I don't know, but they've been here. They've gone through all that, okay? They were here, and it's been more than one battle. Boone Jenner has gone through numerous battles with Pittsburgh and Philly and the Rangers and the Islanders and the Capitals. and you know, So that's not going to change. And then you get a guy like Jake Voracek who also played in the Metropolitan Division in Philadelphia. So I guarantee you that he has the same distaste for many players in the division that the Blue Jackets do, even though he's wearing a different uniform. Now he's going to have to have some distaste towards some of his former teammates. Just simple as that. But uh, that won't be a problem, Lauren. There will be, be plenty of hate when it comes to playing within the division. All right, Jody is next. I told you Jody had a question today. One change that I noticed is when... The puck is in our defensive zone. We don't just park it and block shots. We're constantly moving around to keep passes to a minimum and a faster transition out of our zone. That is just an observation. Yeah, there's 
there's less uh, collapsing in front of the goalie to shot block and more. Uh, and they still block shots, but they don't pack it in as much. You're right about that. And they're trying to get the puck and force the other team into making a bad pass and then exploit that way. And I like that a lot. Jeremy G says, what were your thoughts on Seattle as far as uniform colors and overall look? Were they easy to read while calling the game? Also glad to have hockey back and have a good and healthy season. Thank you, Jeremy, for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, their uniforms were sharp. They were really sharp. I, I liked them. My, my oldest son told me they're sick. He loves them. They're sick. Well, they they stood out pretty good. I, you know, I like the, uh, the white with that, uh, whatever they call it. It's the aqua blue and in the black. They were easy to read, and uh, they looked nice. I, I know that's a thing now. People just buy jerseys because of the style and colors and designs. The only jerseys I ever bought in my life were the ones from the teams that I was a diehard fan of. I would never go buy another one just because it looked nice. I just wouldn't. It just wasn't me. So, uh so I, I maybe I don't get into it as much as you do, but the answer is they look nice. They look nice, and they were easy to read. Linda says, have your overall expectations for the season changed now that we have played two games? Hard not to get your hopes up with a 2-0 and start, but there are 80 games to go. That's right, Linda. That's right. Pump the brakes. Be excited. There's going to be a lot of great wins this year with this team. There's going to be some disappointing losses, too. That's just the way it goes, no matter uh, – what kind of team that you have, but this team has started off well. You look at the schedule in Detroit tomorrow night, and then you come home, and now the Metropolitan Division starts to come here and play against you. Islanders, Hurricanes. So, um, look, it's not all going to be as easy as what we've seen. And I only say pump the brakes because you know there are going to be hardships along the way, but doggone doesn't mean you shouldn't be excited about what you've seen so far and for the um just you know there's promise here I told you I told you from week one this team is not going to be as bad as all the people from the outside think it's going to be playoffs or not I I don't know where that's going to go but I do expect them to compete on a nightly basis and I do expect them to be there making noise even late in the season down to the end I do. I just really do. And, uh, again, not every game is going to be as easy as uh, Thursday was, but not every game is going to be as hard as Saturday was either. Dylan says, is the NHL still doing the reverse retro jerseys for some games this year? No, they are not. All right, I got a couple of goalie things here. I have one, uh, I have one tweet. I have one email. So let me go in that order. Peyton Ratliff says, when do you see number 70 getting his first start of the season? That, of course, is Jonas Corposalo. And then I have this from Corinne, who says, can you give us any insight on what's happening with the goalie tandem? I was actually surprised that Corpy didn't start on Saturday against Seattle. Did I miss something along the way that sealed Elvis as our number one? Is Corposalo not 100%? Is he not performing well in practices? Maybe I'm being a Pollyanna about it, but I just thought having them each start a game at home before going on the road would have been a nice gesture. It would have been a nice gesture, but Elvis stopped 36 of 38 on opening night. He looked good. There was no reason not to start him again on Saturday, quite frankly. He earned that. He earned it. 
Now, Corpusalo was injured at the beginning of camp, so he was a little bit behind. He didn't get as many reps during the preseason as Elvis did. And Elvis had a good preseason. And like I said, he deserved to start on opening night. Did anybody think he wasn't going to start on opening night with the tribute that was going to take place for Matisse Kivlenix? So you pretty much knew he was going to start on opening night. And he started and he performed well through all of the adversity that he was facing. And he deserved to start again on Saturday. So it would have been a nice gesture, but we're not about nice gestures anymore, Corinne. Things have got to be earned here. And that's from every position. And that includes the goaltender. So this goes back to uh, the previous question, too, about when will Corpusalo start? He very well could start in Detroit tomorrow, Tuesday. He could start there. If he doesn't start, I don't know that they would uh, let him go beyond the Thursday game at home against the Rangers or the uh, Islanders. Sorry. So either way, I think he's going to get a start soon. But you know, you you got to get. And I'm not chastising you. I'm just being honest here. Okay. But you got to get over this nice gesture. These two guys are friends, and that's great. But they are going to compete, and they are going to battle. And Elvis got the contract extension and Corpusalo didn't. So you know that he wants to get in there and play. But Elvis got the opportunity to go first. And he has to, well, I shouldn't say he has to, but if he's not going to let there be an opening, if he's going to play so well that he's not going to create any doubt and have a coach say, boy, maybe this would be a good spot to get Corpusalo in here. If he's not going to allow that opportunity, then that's good on him. That's his job. His job is to keep the net as long as he can keep the net. Now, you also don't want to burn a guy out early in the season when you have two guys that either one of them could be your starter. And that's why I think the Corpusalo plays one of these next two games easily. Uh, will it be the one in Detroit? Last time Elvis was in Detroit, he gave up five goals. Now, that was with a not-so-very-good lineup in front of him. It was a preseason game. So maybe that shouldn't count, but... Maybe somehow part of it does, and they want to give Corpusalo the opportunity, and Elvis did that last time, and they'll save him for Thursday or something like that. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but I think you're going to see him, and I'm talking about Corpusalo. I think you're going to see him sooner than later. And I got one more for you here today. Uh, Ethan Gifford says, I'm emailing you while watching the Blue Jackets in the crack and warm up. Lots of times I see away players warming up without helmets while the Blue Jackets always have theirs on. Is this a team rule or just a preference thing? I've always wondered this, but never knew the answer and figured that you could find out for me. Well, Ethan, I can find, I already know. I don't have to find out. It is a team rule. They want them having the helmets on during the warmups. And there are a lot of players that would love to take their helmets off during the warmups. And it's just a safety thing. And, if you were to say in your mind, as, as I say those words, maybe in your mind you're like a safety thing. I mean, what what is the big deal? I mean, you know, it's pretty controlled during the warm-ups. And no, it, actually it's not. There are pucks flying all over the place. And to me, I always questioned this. Ethan, I always questioned this thing because even when I was in the American Hockey League with the Syracuse Crunch and we were affiliated with the Blue Jackets, Zenon Kanopka was the captain. And... Kanopka used to use that that rule, use breaking that rule as incentive for his teammates. He would say, 
let's say on a Friday night, you're going to play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. On a Friday night, he would say, boys, if we win this game tonight, no buckets for warm-up tomorrow. And so they would win the game, and they would all come out the next day with no helmets on. And and the Blue Jackets weren't happy about it. The management that was here at the time was not happy about it at all. But here's the funniest story. There was one time that it went beyond the no helmets and warm-up, the no buckets. Um, he'd already done that and they won the game and now he was looking to do something even more. I think we were in Peoria, Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. And he said, he said the night before, if we win tonight, tomorrow, no buckets, no shoulder pads. These guys came out to warm up with their jerseys just hanging on them because they didn't have shoulder pads in, no helmets on. It was borderline ridiculous, but that's one of the things that he used to create incentive for the players. Now, should he have done it? No, it was against the team rules. Would you see somebody do it here? No, it's against the team rules, but it is, is, um, you know, as I watch other teams do it and there were times that I thought this is crazy. What, what's a big deal if they don't have their helmet on during warmup and then if you happen to be at that game a number of years ago when the Edmonton Oilers came to town and during warm-ups, Taylor Hall slipped and fell and a teammate inadvertently stepped on his head with a skate, if you were at that game, if you were in there for warm-up that night, you know exactly why there's a team rule to keep your helmet on. I never questioned it after that day. Never. Yeah, it looks cool skating around, you know, wind in your hair and all that. And that's what I thought all the time until I saw that. And I never, never thought about it again. So there's your answer, Ethan. Team rule, that's why they have it on. So thank you for all of your questions today, whether it's uh, via email, Bobby Mack at bluejackets.com or on Twitter. Bobby Mack Sports is where you can find me on there. And um, you can send those those questions to me every week, and I will answer them on the Monday mailbag. Blue Jackets in Detroit tomorrow night, 7.30 game time. Our pregame coverage starts at 7 o'clock on the Blue Jackets radio network, which includes a flagship station, 97.1 The Fan in Columbus, and also uh, 7 o'clock start for pregame coverage on Bally Sports Ohio. See if the Blue Jackets can make it three in a row as they head up to Detroit to take on the Red Wings tomorrow night. That'll do it for today's edition of CBJ and 30. It's been presented by Tell Ohio Credit Union. Until next time, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.